Well, good morning. It's good to be back. So how many here are freshmen? You can raise your hand. I won't bite. So I did the math on the way here, and I, I wasn't the best at math. Science was my, I said, oh, 31? I was like, oh, crap, no, it's 41. So 41 years ago, I was sitting right where you were sitting right now and sitting right next to my dad, God rest his soul. So um, it is so great to see all of you here. And uh, hopefully one of the freshmen or other students will find themselves standing here with vestments on 40 years from now and uh, be preaching to the class that's here. So it's great to be here again. Thank you. This liturgical year, throughout most of ordinary time, we've been listening to Mark's gospel. It's believed to be the first gospel that was written. And it's short. It's to the point. So I think in order to realize some of the overarching themes that this gospel makes, you have to kind of connect the dots to get a broader view of Mark's message. Case in point, over the past few weeks, we've been given three gospel accounts where Jesus tells his disciples about his pending passion, about the need for suffering, and that he will die and three days later will rise. It would seem that Jesus is keen on teaching them about this pattern of life and death and resurrection, a pattern that is constant in our lives. But remember the responses that the disciples gave him? Well, the first time, Peter rebuked him. That didn't go over really well. The second time, the disciples just ignored him, and they started arguing who was the greatest among them. And then, as they're walking on their way to Jerusalem, to where Jesus will now die, he tells his disciples a third and final time about what is going to happen. And it's their response, which we heard in today's gospel, with James and John asking, can they be the ones who will sit on his right and left? Can they be the ones who have this special place of honor? Maybe the ones who will bask in the limelight, which of course just irks the other ten to no end. Each time, the disciples are faced with the reality that part of life is suffering and death. Each time, Jesus talks about the need to carry your cross to follow him. Each time, Jesus talks about serving others. The disciples focus on what's best for themselves, who's the greatest among them, how it's all about gaining power and prestige. It is truly the first century version of the me generation. You see, when you tie these gospel stories together, they remind us of this paradox of life. That climbing the ladder of personal success really means learning to shed your ego and make your life all about others. See, for centuries and throughout much civilization, this lesson was learned through a prescribed form of initiation. While each culture had their own rights, the common characteristics usually involved a young teen boy, girls didn't require initiation then, being taken by the elders into nature and taught how to face the dangers of being on his own, of facing his own life and facing his own death. Our early church had its own rite of initiation, whereby a person would take two to three years of prayer and study before they were then called catechumens, which is a Greek word meaning re-echo. It was during that time when the community strengthened 
and supported the catechumen by re-echoing their faith in the lives of those being initiated. And some eight months or so afterwards, they were baptized by full immersion into water, symbolizing a death to yourself, and brought out of the waters reborn in a life focused on discipleship. Many centuries later, this got watered down as the focus was on making the sacraments and the removal of original sin and less about personal initiation and learning how to live a life in the service as a disciple of Christ. In general, most of civilization has walked away from the practice of initiating their young. But just scan the headlines of the news and you will, need, you will see that the need has only grown. And now sociologists are saying that due to changes in our society, that some form of initiation is not just needed for our young men, but also our young women. And that now, more than ever, our generations need to learn the following five core messages of initiation that have been universally taught throughout all of time. Life is hard. You're not that important. You're not in control. You are going to die. And life is not about you. You are about life and serving others. See, for these past months, we've been listening to the Gospels as Jesus tries to open the eyes of his followers to these same messages, to initiate them on how to be human, on how suffering is part of life, and on how important it is to be a servant first and, resi and resist the desire to just feed your ego. But, but how much easier is it to be like the disciples who are looking for those seats of honor and glory versus following what we heard in today's gospel, that Christ is calling us to be a role of servant slave to all. I think this is one of the main reasons why there is so much universal love across all the faiths for our Pope and his constant demonstration to reach out and to include all people. During his visit, we got to see up close his role as shepherd, who tends to everyone, and as a true pastor who's focused on being a servant leader. And just yesterday, when addressing the synod on the family, he reminded the bishops that those who exercise authority in the church are called to serve the people of God, and that he, as the Pope, is the servant of the servants of God. It is a persistent plea he has the entire church, both laity and clergy that we are to remember our call to real discipleship that has to be rooted in love and mercy. And during this month that the church is focused so much on the family, Pope Francis reminds us how the love of the family must be mirrored in the church when he recently said, it is important that the church in the United States also be a humble home, a family fire which attracts men and women through the attractive light and warmth of love. Only a church which can gather around a family fire remains able to attract others. And it is this concept of the fiery, fiery love within the family being foundational to a healing, merciful church which Christ was attempting to teach his disciples and that 2,000 later, Pope Francis is calling us to. 
You may sit there and go, well, how? How's our family going to do that? We have brokenness. We have pains. We have sufferings. Well, certainly your presence here today, both father and son, is a gift in so many different ways. More than ever, our young men need male role models who through their words and their actions will walk with them and mentor them and teach them how to live and to love and to forgive and to be present to others. And truth be told, the dads have just as much to learn from their sons now and in the years ahead. So continue to stay connected to each other. Make it a priority to spend time together. Take time to truly listen to one another, whereby each of you will learn to live a life not focused on power and possessions and prestige, or even where you sit, but focused on your baptismal commitment of truly living who you are in Christ in that daily dance of life and death and resurrection. For in the words of Carl Jung, our ever-loving God calls us to become who you are, become all that you are, for there is still such much, for there still is so much more of you, more to be discovered, more to be forgiven, and so much more to be loved. <clears throat>